What if race was a human fiction created to keep one group subordinated to another group? Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian, the podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically. Today on the podcast, we are introducing part three of our series with Bradley Mason, known on Twitter as Also a Carpenter, also on Facebook I discovered, known as Also a Carpenter. Today we discuss the subject of race. That is, one of the things that has happened with the discussions uh, around critical race theory is the suggestion that race is a social construct, not a biological construct, not even an ethnic construct, but a social construct. What's interesting is even critics of CRT suggest that race as a social construct actually kind of disallows uh, the need for CRT. Ironically, they're wrong. Maybe it's not ironic. But if we discover that the reason race was created, dating back centuries, I'd even argue that we notice it in the Scriptures, that if race were a social construct? What's it for? And if someone thinks that we don't need an analytic to learn about it, when did it stop in the United States? Hey, we tackle these questions and more on today's podcast. So here's my conversation, part three, with Bradley Mason on the subject of critical race theory, particularly today, race as a social construct. Really important. Stay with it. And we'll have a word for you on the other side. Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. We're a podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically. And here we are, my, my friend who is persevering, who just won't give up, who won't let go, is back with me today, Bradley Mason. Bradley, good to see you today. Yeah, good to see you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, Bradley, you know, um, we were talking just a minute ago. Uh, folks uh, about what sort of uh, interactions now listen we love we love liking uh, tweets retweeting tweets beautiful you've helped us uh, have an amazing response to putting out the video from last time our uh, downloads are good all that makes a podcast you know happy but what really makes us happy is when we get some feedback We'd like to know we're scratching an itch, answering a question, something that's really making sense or not, and you're reaching out. So we're going to address the subject we mentioned to you last week, that is this uh, race as a social construct for the primary purpose of subordinating another group of people by uh, responding to some questions that uh, my friend Marty Duran sent in. If you're not listening to Uncommentary Podcasts, then you're missing out on one of the top 12 podcasts rated by Christianity Today. We hope to unseat Marty. I mean, if Brad can help me, we are going to unseat Marty uh, as the one of the top 12, but we got a long way to go. So here we go. Uh, Bradley, um, when when we made the comment, when you finished uh, at the end last time, we're talking about 
uh, race as a social construct. I have to confess, I've had some internal like, uh, about that. I had not thought about it that way before. In fact, I think my friend uh, Alan Cross and I have gone kind of back and forth about that, trying to flush that out. And I've been trying to kind of wrap my head around that, which tells you I'm, I'm learning along the way here. And uh, so let's, let's kind of start with kind of a, a general thing. And then I'm going to hit you with some of these questions uh, because it'll localize it down to um, kind of where we are in America and some of the things that just seem still not to be picked up on by critics, uh, at least critics that you and I engage with. Right. So, well, to begin with, um, we would argue, a critical race theorist would argue, I think most people, um, uh, scientists at this point, biologists, geneticists, everything would argue that race is simply not biological. It's a biological fiction. It's not a, there's not a set of genes that code for it. Um, there's, there's genetic likeness across racial boundaries, in some cases, much more than within. Um, you can find some, some genetic continuity within uh, locations like local populations or historical people groups who of course had lived together and married and had children together, you'd see contact there. But say in a different part where they would still, of the world where they would still be considered the same race, they don't share those same genetic characteristics. So um, in general, the, especially after mapping the human genome and all of that, it seems people are pretty confident that there it's it's not a genetic, you don't have a, a black gene or a white gene or an Asian gene or, or anything along those lines. Um, but, but furthermore, and ask me any questions along the way, because I don't, I'm not no, sure you're good. what no, makes sense no. and what doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, no, let's roll. Yeah. Um, but further, race isn't, isn't an essence even, right? So it's not something that, that you carry around in your body right? Especially according to critical race theorists. Race is not something that you inherit from your parents. What, what race is, is, is how you yourself and your society attributes race based upon certain uh, morphological characteristics or ancestry. And that still depends on what time in history and when and why race is even being applied if that makes sense. So, so an, a, a race only exists in social consciousness. In reality, it's not something in a person. You're not born in a sense with a race. You don't receive a race from your parents. Rather, society attributes and society includes yourself, right? Because it's a self-identity thing, you know, just as much as it is about others is that uh, racial categories are attributed based upon whatever. Well, I, it's even hard to say, because you want to say morphological features generally and ancestry generally. But that's only because more or less one of those at certain times in history has been the means mm -hmm. of, of quote unquote recognizing or attributing race, right? Because you had times where talk of blood was so important, right? Morphology wouldn't necessarily have to have mattered at all. Like you could just look like a regular white person, but you knew your great, great grandmother uh, was African-American. So right. you're black, doesn't matter what you look like. So, so even that is, is, is sort of loose. Um, and then of course this came about 
over time for specific purposes. I know we talked about earlier and mentioned last week, um, for example, the Curse of Ham. Mm-hmm. Right. Remember, right. we were just talking about how um, I was reading in Cedric Robinson's Black Marxism, and he's going back way back in history, and he's in like the 13th century, and he's talking about how the Curse of Ham was used to um, by nobles and landowners to justify their use and misuse of the peasantry because they they were descendants of ham right so they were cursed to be their servants and that both of those groups were quote-unquote european or what would now be considered white so we can see going way back that there is this tendency obviously and it doesn't necessarily happen along the lines of race but to justify how you're using a group of people by saying there's something essentially different about them than about your type of people, right? So breaking people up into types as justifications for how you use them economically or politically or whatever the motivation may be at the time. Now, I know later on, of course, as, as uh, Portugal, especially um, Spain, start to expand into Africa, um, start traveling around the world, you know, the beginning of colonialism, then, then of course, color or morphological features like that, uh, blackness sort of became um, then the metonymy for that other type of people that can be exploited. And as that became increasingly uh, profitable, then that, that, that's really how race developed. And we can see it pretty specifically in our own nation, um, having studied like uh, colonial America, because we see when when uh, African slaves are first brought, they're, they're indentured servants, laborers, more or less along the same lines as many Europeans, Slavs especially were considered, right. you know, slaves at the time. Um, Irishmen obviously Irish. mm-hmm. treated very poorly. Um, so, so you had a bunch of uh, indentured servants, they had no rights, they were treated like garbage, let's not pretend didn't matter what, what quote unquote race they were or ethnicity. Um, but by and large, they worked under the same terms. They were treated poorly. They didn't own land. They hoped to own land. They hoped to work for six years or whatever the term of the contract was in order um, to be free. Mm-hmm. And so we see that all within the legal code, but we begin to see some changes over time where um, um, for instance, Early on, what's the name of that case? I can't remember where there's um, multiple indentured servants that escape and they run away. We have their names and then they're captured. And there was a, an Italian Italian man and a couple other uh, ethnic ethnicities of people. And they were um, given a certain amount of lashes and some, some years added to their service. But, but John Punch, the one African uh, or, or black servant, he was condemned to a lifelong servitude in response for whatever reason, right? right? So you can kind of right. see like a shift in mentality of how you know, the foreigner is being treated as opposed to the European. And then we start to see this in the legal code based around the idea of Christian. So, okay, you have a Christian man or a man of Christian origin cannot be held as a slave permanently. We have another category, you know, pagans, infidels, where eh, it's still kind of an open question. Right. And then, and then pretty soon, okay, you can't 
hold a Christian man indefinitely or woman, but you can a Negro, right? right? So then that starts to develop. And then if slowly they drop the Christian and you just see white, Negro, mulatto, and Indian, all having their own set of, of laws. So you can kind of just watch this development. And we know the motivation behind it is playing out, you know, just before our eyes is that the Atlantic slave trade is proving to be quite profitable. Um, you can get a lot of laborers from Africa all at once. Uh, they're completely estranged from their people, unlike the Native Americans who, you know, can still escape somewhere and find somebody they know, right? right? And, um, they're not completely estranged or, or separated from their land, from their people, from their language and everything like that. So uh, the, the, the transatlantic slave trade created a whole group of people that are in a sense easily exploitable and misused. And lo and behold, they became a group with their own name, right? They, did, there wasn't, they didn't separate these people from Africa by ethnicity or by nationality or by language or by their own traditions as they would have in Africa. There was no pan-African identity Right. prior to the transatlantic slave trade like you know just like in europe there was a lot of different competing factions among white europeans but slowly we see both kind of congealed into one people group the the white right which is generally european people and then negro and then mulatto in between kind of mm -hmm. uh, concept but still slaves and then native americans which kind of went back and forth can be slaves, can't be slaves, can't be slaves, can't be slaves, um, eventually ending, couldn't be slaves. So all of this developed, and this is, this is all even before you have any of the biologists or right. coming out. I mean, this all happened already. So I hear a lot of people say, oh, this came from Darwin. Well, you know, Darwin didn't help, but all this <laughs> occurred prior to Darwin. Right. This right. idea of races, that, that, that there are people groups in hierarchy that are identified by the color of their skin and their ancestry, mm. right? Yeah. That's what race is, right. right? The hierarchy is inseparable from it because those were born together. It was the very purpose for creating the concept of race and how it developed was how you were going to dole out rights within the colonies. And who could be held as a slave or who just as a servant uh, under indenture. So it was, it was a stratification scheme. And, and as you know, many have pointed out that it's, it's kind of, uh, I think it was Barbara Fields who was pointing out, it was kind of necessary if you're going to uh, create a nation where everybody's created equal, that there's gotta be some other difference <laughs> Right. that justifies treating some people as not equal right right, right. and then that, that's where race steps in we don't have caste we don't have class in america right well but there are these differences according to god's providence which we just inherited and we're acting accordingly and so you could even justify no no, no the african is, is free in america right because he's performing the very duty that god created him for Right. So you read like Dabney, a whole section on loving your neighbor. Right. And what does loving your neighbor mean? It means loving them according to their station in life. Mm -hmm. So you love a woman different than you love a man. Mm -hmm. You love a, an African differently than you would a white person. So because you, you're loving according to their natures and and for someone with limited 
intellectual capacity, right, and morality, right. Right. you have to love them differently, i.e. direct them, mm -hmm. be their masters, mm -hmm. right? So we see all of this develop, it's like, you can just read it in the legal codes as they right. develop. It, I, I can't imagine anything that's plainer. And then not until after all of that, do you have scientists sort of working backwards to justify this categorization that they made? Well, okay, well, there's, I'm gonna study these different races. And so then you start studying um, the skulls of people or uh, I don't know, Darwin did suggest even checking lice, right? Because mm -hmm. lice could live on some races and not others. You know, different ways, how do we distinguish where do these people come from? Were they separate creations or was one a divergence and one, um, and then that's important to just one second. I don't wanna let that thought slip, but slow me down at any point <laughs> if you'd like. So, um, so then, yeah, so then they start to develop. You have, some have three, you know, worldwide races, some five, you know, the Mongoloid, the Caucasoid, the, that, uh, that whole group. Um, but I almost lost that point that I was going to go go back to. Oh, yes. So the difference between polygenesis and monogenesis mm -hmm. sort of develops in this time period. So uh, polygenesis is going to say that these different races that the scientists are now talking about, and this is the end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century. You know, Linnaeus and Blumenbach were, I think, very early, like late, late 18th century, maybe as early as 1750s, some of this work. Mm -hmm. um, and 1723 was the first time we see in Virginia's legal code, the word white, mm. right? To refer mm. to a people group wow. Wow. and giving them certain rights. So, so we're still, that happened way before. Yeah. So when you have, uh, then you have the polygenesis who believe, well, these different races are separate creation Right. So God made different people in different places and they, you know, so they're in a sense, qualitatively different. They're almost like different creatures or different mm -hmm. species. Um, they're obviously very close as far as species go, but definitely different. Um, other groups, I guess, who would be considered have been considered more uh, biblical, like your James you know, Henley Thornwell or Dabney, who, you know, wanted to hold to a biblical idea of creation then would believe in monogenesis. Okay, so no, it was one people, everybody came from Adam, but as they spread out around the, the earth, then um, different climates, different environments uh, led to a divergence and um, some developed more slowly as a people, some more quickly, um, you know, our brains develop better in the European climates than, than near the equator, you know, all of these types of things. And then even as going as far as, well, we can't really like determine that scientifically, but we can see that in the level of civilization amongst peoples, right? So we know that 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 Europe had advanced so greatly in civilization, whereas the, the other nations hadn't even developed any form of civilization in their mind. And I, I think this is important because this doesn't go away. It's kind of, you know, where we are now. We say, oh, I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, people of color or African-Americans are in the situation they are because of the color of their skin, but it's because of their culture, right? right, right. Okay, that's identical in my mind to, to the monogenesis view of racial divergence. It's the same thing. Right. When you're talking about civilizations, orders of civilizations, hierarchy of civilizations, 
I think you're quite a bit saying the same thing. So really the point of, <laughs> of going down that long path is just is, is to note that we've had ideas of race as biological, that it's something in your genes, it's your type of person, it's a scientific thing. Someone can just study skulls and find out which race you know they're dealing with. Um, and, and then this continues on, well, I don't know, it, it's never gone away, <laughs> but right. it's changed, right? So <clears throat> at a certain point, when you get into say the civil rights movement, then you still think that people are still thinking that race is biological, it's inherited from your parents. But kind of where it develops at that point is to, um, but it doesn't matter, right? right. We're, we're different, but not in ways that matter. Right. And in as much as you see that that biological difference leads, leads to it mattering or, or whether your decision procedure should depend upon that biological difference, making race count in that way became itself understood as racist right? Mm -hmm. Legally and otherwise. So in a sense, then what, what was able to be done in response to the civil rights movement, and this is why social construction of race is so important, I think, to critical race theory is because in response to the civil rights movement, if you maintain the idea that race is essential, that it is to some degree biological, a matter of blood or a matter of ancestry, rather than socially constructed, um, then you're able to depoliticize it, make mm -hmm. it not matter, right? Mm -hmm. Because if race is a social construction and it was developed in the very way that we had just described, right. then it has legal, political, and social implications, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if you see, if there is a people group who is suffering and they're suffering right along that created line that socially constructed line, then there's already built within that uh, a, a political history, a social context. There's a lot of meaning bound up with that. And, and then that becomes then the basis for carrying out reform. Now, if you sap it of all political meaning, all of that history of social construction, and now just make it a gene or an essence inside bodies, well, then you can just ignore it again and treat everyone like individuals without having to uh, carry out any reforms, any redress, any kind of re re uh, recompensation, anything like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I let me stop you right there for just a second and, okay. and say that in, in thinking back through what you've described, um, I can't help but thinking uh, of a couple of things. First, um, where you had uh, mentioned that the, uh, the way the curse of ham had been used. Mm -hmm. um, most of uh, folks in my tribe, Southern Baptists, um, have a history that we, we're trying to vacate. Um, Nathan, help me. I think we have a case of organized forgetting in our denomination. <laughs> and, and as a consequence, um, we have... Uh, scant memories of our forebears using the curse of ham as justification for uh, treating and, and dehumanizing a person to where they are 
not temporally indentured, but they're permanently marked for a particular assignment, uh, as you kind of tongue in cheek said, I think earlier, by providence, mm -hmm. um, as, as if, well, too bad you were born that way. Uh, that's what God consigned you to. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing that comes to mind, uh, and I'm trying to I'm trying to couch this in such a way as we talk through this, that pastors who are grappling with this, who I think are getting a version of CRT that is really not CRT, where as as you and I've talked, uh, you know, whether it's DM on Twitter or email, where um, uh, I think what uh, the way. Uh, Nathan described it was uh, emptying CRT of any meaning and then pour in all the bad things that you can think of so that now mentally all anyone ever thinks of is something negative culturally. Uh, right. And here, when we are using this as a sociological analytic tool uh, to learn that this habit of using the curse of ham has a predecessor has a pre-existing experience where it was white on white, that should startle all of us that the scriptures have been manipulated at points along the way so, uh, so as to benefit one group over another group. Mm -hmm. And then ironically, ironically, when, when you begin to try to assess how do you take Galatians 3, for instance, where Paul describes no, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, and you, you try to tease that out, and we use that in ways we want to. We use that in ways we don't want to, but, right. but surely looking at New Testament history, there is, there, there is no mistaking that there has been a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Jews, Gentiles is, the, is most basic, depending on who's telling the story, right? Right. So the Gentiles are the bad guys if the Jews are telling the story. And as Rome's burning, uh, the Gentiles are saying that's the Jews are, the, are to blame for it. So, you know, this has always been a, a, the case where we vilified a particular grouping of people mm. yeah. and, and in, in order to scapegoat them as here's why we have all these problems, never accounting for their full humanity. And now I'm going to get a little bit um, meddling in the sense that we, rather than address the needs that human beings have in a very conflicted and diverse culture, we would soon vilify someone as to have to deal with their humanity. So the whole uh, gender discussions, sexuality discussions uh, uh, come into play. Um, where we don't take time to talk about uh, human experience. Uh, all we can do is say, here are all the reasons it shouldn't, you shouldn't be like that. Right. And here's why. It's actually the same tactic. It's, it's the same yeah. tactic that is working to dehumanize another group of people so that now they can be blamed. So, uh, so the reason um, uh, the, the bridge fell and the tornado hit in Minneapolis, John uh, Piper said, was because the ELCA was meeting to talk about allowing uh, LGBT uh, ministers. Oh, wow. So, uh, or yeah. or uh, Katrina. Uh, was a result of, and you fill in the blank for whatever group of people we need to vilify. Mm -hmm. So where, where sometimes, because we're in a discussion about race, that becomes a flashpoint that people kind of, you know, aren't paying attention. We need to recognize this is happening all along. 
I mean, we, we right. are, we human beings are looking for ways to assume superiority over another group of people any way we can. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and I've got a friend um, who finishes PhD in Norman and I was looking for the title of the book. He uh, told me to pick up and I did uh, uh, something about the body. Um, um, hmm. Keeps the score. Oh. No, I've got that one. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was historical. So what was startling about it was in the intro, um, it was uh, a, um, a, a reminder that prior to, you mentioned it early, uh, prior to um, the transatlantic slave trade, we had immigrants who were treated this way. So the Irish, for instance, and there were some bits in this where the Native Americans, uh, there was a transition at one point, man, they got along. And then when we needed a group to be superior to, you see a change in letters, uh, newspaper articles, those sorts of things. Right. Irish come. Now they become the last class people. So right. where we haven't had maybe a, a caste system in, in, in terms of um, uh, like, like uh, um, India, for instance, mm -hmm. um, Isabel Wilkerson in yeah. her book cast it, it and I haven't quite finished it, but it is going to make a case that in some sense of the term cast, there's been a yeah. European caste system yeah. uh, that got translated differently when it came to the United States, but certainly is European in its origin. So all that to say that uh, pastors, I hope you're, I hope you're listening because um, listen, um, a, a, a figure running for the presidency of our denomination this summer has gone on record to say that there's no, no value in uh, critical race theory as a sociological analytic tool to unearth these discrepancies, these disparities, these subordinating relationships, while at the same time platforming uh, a, an admitted atheist with no background in critical race theory as being uh, a proper resource for understanding uh, and, and analyzing our sociocultural circumstances. That's just ridiculous. And, and it seems to me here that when we can go back in our own American history, we can go back to the 12th and 13th century outside of our, our um, country's history, and we can go back to the scriptures and see clearly where it is a natural tendency of human beings to find a way to subordinate another. Uh, we, we shouldn't mock this and scoff this. Uh, I, and, and oh, never mind. I, I was fixing to say, and, 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 to, and to consider this Marxist or neo-Marxist doesn't even make sense because this isn't even that, this isn't even like in the matrix of, no. of what's going on and trying to see how these are now instantiated in uh, legal opinions, documents, and, and such court right. cases. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, I just want to pause there for a minute to, to say that when we, when, when Bradley's bringing us up to speed to, okay, here's where we are, we get the civil rights movement. We should not be surprised. Right. Yeah. Uh, th this should not be that hard to grasp. And the only reason that it is, is because we don't want to admit that we have participation in the ways that we have subordinated others and, even without our awareness. So I'm watching you on a MacBook Pro. Yeah. Well, some of the very materials 
have been gathered because we've dehumanized certain groups of people as the only right. reason that you're valuable is you're sitting on land that we can mine this particular right. product and right. produce your 70 inch screen TVs. Right. It's the same thing. And we just mm -hmm. brush it up as, man, capitalism yeah. is great. Um, well, that's so. what's surprising, even with that document that come out today, was it? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The the resolutions they're right, the resolution. to present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, is that it, it approaches it from the beginning as though critical race theory says, now I'm going to look at a perfectly fine world and I'm going to divide it up into groups. Right. That, right. What? Yeah, right. That's right. That's, that's crazy talk, right. you know? And, and then that's something we've seen very early on, even in uh, all of Shenvey's writings, I have to be honest, was always like basic tenet of whatever he's talking about at the time, contemporary mm -hmm. critical theory, or I don't know, now it's critical social justice, whatever. Yeah. The basic tenet is the world is divided into oppressors and oppressed. Like, what, what does that mean? Okay, you know, like, like, are there oppressors? Yes. Are there oppressed? Yes. There always has been, you know, probably always will be that's talked about in the Bible. So mm -hmm. it's not something we made up. Um, and then one thing that people seem to miss is that it's nowhere is it okay to be white is to be an oppressor, right? Or to be black is to be oppressed or to be man um, by nature essentially means oppressor. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not what's being said at all. Because in, if you were in a almost entirely uh, black, maybe nation um, with a strongly matriarchal culture, right? Mm -hmm. Then I dynamics would be completely different. It doesn't have anything to do with, with, uh, with whiteness as such, but rather cultural, social, normative whiteness, right? That connects with oppressor. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it seems like they can't look past that. It's not that you've latched on to some group and decided to make them the oppressor or to speak of them as your oppressor. Right. It's you're analyzing what's going on in society. Why are these people suffering and why are these people prospering? Is it just, why does it break down along lines like race? You know, right. something that we just have talked about, we constructed, right? Right, for a purpose. Right. And that's the fissure line that happens to break completely <laughs> down on. Well, then, yeah, there is that relationship there of oppressor and oppressed. Does that mean if it was a different history that had transpired before us, right? If things had happened differently, would the, the same group still be oppressor or oppressed? No, that's our contingent social history. Right. That's just a matter of fact. I, I often wonder if, um, if early on in this nation, right? Because remember one of the early questions was, is if, if we convert the slaves well, then they, will they be free? Because mm -hmm. right. then they're no longer pagans. Open question. Some people did, some people didn't, you know, and then uh, they needed uh, guidance on that, ultimately needed the courts to decide. And then when they decided that, no, you could, uh, they could be converted, be baptized, and it wouldn't change their social condition. And they go to the Bible to prove that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, John Cotton Mather, just right. discussing piece of work he wrote yeah, yeah. to justify subordinating right. human beings right. that are Christians, right? And so it's kind of like when they got over that bridge, 
then there had to be a different means, a different way to divide people up, right? right. That it had okay, so now it's got to be their race or their skin or whatever. Right. And I, I often wonder what if they had never changed that law? Mm. Right. That if if they just not changed that one thing, obviously mm. that wouldn't overcome the force of, you know, uh, colonial history, which right. was like a wave right. crashing upon them. But right. just did thought experiment. Yeah. If they had never breached that point and said, no, if you're obviously we have Christian nationalism full force, but that's a different yeah. question. But if yeah. they had never breached that question uh, or breached that point and said, well, you can be converted and become a baptized Christian, but you can be treated like chap, right? Mm-hmm. If they never had done that, I wonder what society would look like now. Would we have even developed into that rigid demarcation between Black Americans who were or enslavable and, and, and exploitable by nature, and then this conglomeration of ethnicities that became white America that couldn't be and that could become citizens and have all the rights. Right. It was almost like when we when we removed that one little barrier, we almost made it certain it was going to happen along those lines. What if what if as time went on, it was along different lines? Pagans of all races and colors and ethnicities and people groups could be kept as uh, chattel slaves, mm-hmm. and then races of all you know color, all ethnicities, all people groups could be held as uh, temporary indentured servants, right? Right. Then we still would have had the evil of slavery. We still would have had, obviously, the evil of Christian nationalism, where, you know, whether you're a slave or not depends on whether you're Christian. It's also not a very good category. But it definitely would have created an entirely different society, Mm -hmm. right? And so Mm -hmm. then one of the effects that, that we have from all of this is that once we got rid of slavery, right, we didn't lose the bifurcation that's still there. Right. We still have racialized groups and they're racialized to include a whole set, a huge network of meanings and, um, and expectations and stereotypes and you know things that we think are biological, whole set of laws and institutions built around um, those races. So, so because we broke it down in that way to where it wasn't uh, pagan or Christian, it now became black race, white race, Mm -hmm. then when the institution of slavery itself was abolished, it didn't even strike at the root core of the race problem. That could Mm -hmm. persist on unscathed, Mm -hmm. right? Because we had already racialized the groups over that period to justify the enslavement. In a sense, we we created a system of ideas that could long outlive the specific um, economic exploitation that it was created for. And sometimes I think if if there were different choices early on, would, would that have never persisted through time? We would never have created those groups along those lines. It would have been created on a different set of lines and we'd have a different discussion right now. And, and a critical theory of X, Y, or Z right. might be saying the same thing about different lines of demarcation, right? right? So we have to see the whole thing as historically contingent. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, Somebody's not making this up and imposing it. We're trying to see what happened and how we got where we are and, and why things are the way they are and why people suffering in the type of groups that they are. That's that's what's trying to be done here. 
Yeah, and that's what they're trying to make sure never happens to be discussed in any school in America. And know? that's ex- right. And that's exactly, I mean, it's, you know, um, that's precisely what happened to, um, or the question that was being answered by uh, post-Holocaust theologians. Uh, critical theory okay. really developed around the idea. Post-Holocaust. Post, yeah. Okay. You, okay yeah, Post-Holocaust, yeah. right. So yeah. you get those trying to figure out, okay, what happened? How did this happen? Right, right, right. Yep. They're answering the same question. How did we get here? Mm-hmm. Where uh, this, uh, you know, a race was attempted to be completely annihilated. And, right. and, th- and millions of people died in the most ghastly ways. The question mm-hmm. was, how did we get here? So when we go back to the article we talked about last week, the first one in the reader, Bell's article, and we were talking about how did this, the question was, how did this happen? How did mm-hmm. it happen, one, that we got where we are, and how is it that we tried to solve the problem and it didn't? Right. Why, why is that going on? And, and I agree with you. I think nobody wants to a- address that question because it, it, would, it would entail some of the uh, ideas that have been tossed around as to how, what it would take to make that right, where we'd no longer have laws subordinating other human beings. Right. Uh, And as you noted there in passing, if no one, you know, happened to to catch it, you mentioned, we mentioned it last time, we'll probably mention it every time, but this has, this is an economic issue as well. I mean, this is almost at its root, an economic issue. And Mm -hmm. so as a consequence, then, you know, we're left, you know, Marty's questions, you know, when did race get socially constructed? We've, I think, addressed that. That that's early on. That actually predated the transatlantic slave trade. And when, when he asked, why did it get socially constructed in America? Well, here we go. We, you know, here's what we needed. We needed slave labor and we needed to subordinate people. So race becomes the the instrumentation for that. And subordinate them in a way that seemed consistent with our supposedly enlightened enlightenment ideas of liberty correct right which required it to be along different lines than it had been in europe previously correct in a sense because you know we're a city on a hill right yeah and and we had to be able we had to create something to shine back across the pond yep so if people are different by nature Mm -hmm. we're just responding to that difference we're not in, encumbering anybody's liberty, yeah. right? So, so it's still fit with the ideology. In a right. sense, our, right. our ideology to pretend like everyone was gonna be the same, even though like only 14% of people could vote, uh, right. <laughs> you know? Right, well, right. yeah, and, 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 the, and, the, and, the, and the crazy mix up thing, you know, the, the use of providence uh, as a, um, a stand-in uh, excuse. Um, you know, there, there's a, a philosopher who uh, has, has um, uh, put it this way. Um, w- we don't like the exercise of trying to think about what if we had been born in another time in another place. Mm-hmm. We privilege our time in our place. And that way, then whoever is not where we are, too bad, so sad. We don't think of them as human beings born in a different time and place because you actually had nothing to do with your place of birth or the era in which you were born. It's pretty arrogant, pretty arrogant to come across as though we can participate in a subordinating 
practices as if we had something to do with where we were born and when we were born. Yeah. But we don't. And, yeah. and, and it would seem to me that Christian people ought to, that ought to be like a summary realization to start. I'm setting out to figure out my place in the world and my relationship to my neighbors and my friends. And I did nothing to, to create the occasion where I'm born in this time, in this place. I, it's, this isn't soul. This isn't the movie soul where I'm up there waiting to be injected into the next body and sent down. I mean, it's not. And, 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 and that's what makes a bit of it kind of disturbing because when you try to engage someone to talk about this, they don't even see what they're saying in that regard. In other words, there's a complete blindness to take up an argument against uh, recognizing these things have happened by actually implying that because you were born when you were and where you were, you you have the right to say what you're saying. And you're like, holy smokes, that's just, yeah. this is lords and serfs all over again. So it by is the same ideology. Being, by virtue of me being here, the circumstances are justified. That's right. In a sense. That's right. Just yeah. by me. Being exactly. here. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Becomes a yeah. self justification. Uh, yeah. It, <laughs> it's, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like, I don't know uh, at what point it becomes such a uh, level of hubris uh, that we are re just living uh, repeated Greek tragedies all over again every day. So, I, it's, uh, yeah. 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 Let's see if we can get um, another question or two so Marty doesn't feel left out. Um, Oh, here's a great question. <laughs> when did it stop being socially constructed in America? Right. Obviously never. So Yeah, obviously never. Yeah. And it continues to change. Right. What, what we understand as as race or what a race means or where are the boundaries of what we consider to be race um, because race in reality is just that. It's a it's a people group loosely held together by a system of socially created meetings that connect with loosely again connect with morphology and ancestry right, right that's right. all that it is right. like in reality we've perceived it to be many many other things um, but race continues to be constructed and reconstructed and changed ever since the beginning and and i think that what's what's so interesting about he bring and when he brings that up in connection with uh, like some of the founders ministry guys and everything is that they also will say race as a construct, as a social mm -hmm. construct. Yes, I think that that's interesting because you know uh, that's a that's a newer trend, I would say, and and generally it's marked by a shift not away from race as much as towards ethnic theory, ethnicity mm. theory. Have you heard about that? The the mm. idea that okay, so races aren't real because they're not biologically real, so we should only talk about ethnicities. Right. right. Okay. Um, and of course, I, I think that's an illegitimate move as well, because just like saying that post-civil rights, saying that race is a matter of blood or ancestry or genetics, so saying it really just reduces to ethnicities. What both of those do are eliminate the, the, uh, the political meanings of mm -hmm. race, right? Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. legal concept of race, mm -hmm. um, how it was used. It dehistoricizes race itself. Right. So, so I, I see those as equivalent moves in my mind that yeah. you can say, yeah. well, it's natural, right? Right. And that's all it is. And so it shouldn't mean anything. Just right. should be like hair color or anything else. Right. 
So now we've cut it off from history and, and it no longer has any socio-political, right. uh, historical or contextual meaning, right? right? It no longer can be used to explain circumstances. Um, we have to put our fingers in our ears and say, la, 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 when we yep. see huge wealth disparities or anything like right. that, because we don't believe such a thing divides those groups, right? And the, but the same then happens with ethnicity theory. And we've kind of seen both. I mean, if you study through uh, Supreme Court decisions throughout, you can see sort of both met methods addressed. Um, I was reading the Shaw decision uh, recently, Sandra Day O'Connor famously argued, well, race is about skin color and skin color doesn't matter. Therefore, um, it doesn't matter. In this case, it was a districting case. Um, mm -hmm. So they were building these uh, judicial districts uh, or not judicial, legislative districts. Right. Um, and it was so clear that they had decided to break it up so that they were, you know, putting one race over here so they'd get their one vote and then broke up all the rest of the groups to make sure the rest were white votes. Mm -hmm. um, and it was pretty obvious on its face, you know, which is why it made it to the Supreme Court. But she said, well, race is a biological thing, basically, she says. And so therefore, it doesn't mean anything about your political affiliations or shared history or culture or anything, because it's just a biological thing. Therefore, there's no reason to believe that this map was divided up in that way, because all of these are different people that live in different neighborhoods and have different histories, right? So totally just obliterated the historical concept of race or the social concept of race or the political concept of race in favor of biological to then not rule in favor of equal protection for these people under the law, right? right. Along the lines of race. And then you see something like completely opposite in back uh, versus, I think it was the UC regents in California at Davis. Um, and here was a white guy who said, oh, I didn't, I didn't get in because of affirmative action that gave my spot to somebody else, right? And then, so then that case is taken up and the ultimate conclusion is, well, there really is no such thing as race. Anyhow, there's only ethnicities and ethnicities have always been in competition with each other. So what are we gonna do? Dole out a seat for every different ethnicity? Boom, now that case is gone. Yeah. So you can always find a way within <laughs> these categories, right. as right. long as you don't allow race to be socially constructed, meaning that it has a real history, a real context is by its nature political and means something in the real lives of people. Like the, 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 our actual current circumstances are structured by this social concept. Mm. And you can't just obliterate that and talk about race at the same time, mm. right? Even if right. you try to reduce it to right. ethnicity or try to reduce it to biology, both are false courses. And so when we see groups like um, Founders Ministry, they say, oh, no, it's just ethnicity. They're, they're making the same move. Right. They're sapping it of the context. It no longer uh, means what it means in America. And, then, and that's not like you're trying to open up or bring back sore wounds. You're, you're trying to actually address the reasons why circumstances of real human beings are subordinated right now. Right. right? And like we talked about before, that, that social construction isn't somebody sat around and came up with an idea, we'll call these people this one thing and separate them out. We'll call these people another thing and separate it out. No, it's it's who has rights. I mean, as it developed, it's a question of who has rights, where can you live? What do you get paid? Can you Are you an indentured servant? Are you a permanent servant? Can you hold any office? Can you be a policeman? Can mm -hmm. you own anything, any mm -hmm. property? Can you ever buy land? Can you ever be a citizen? 
right? Uh, all right. these things connected around it. Um, when the, and we talked about before, when the university school systems developed, when the, when the churches were were being planted and, and then their structure and who could be an elder, who couldn't be an elder, who could be a member, who could have the supper, who couldn't have the supper. The very idea of whether conversion was based upon a confession of faith or the color of your skin had to be decided by law, right? I mean, um, so all of these institutions, the very first act of the very first Congress of the United States of America, how, who could be a naturalized citizen? A white man, okay? I mean, that's the first law ever passed right. as the United States. Okay, right. so this idea of the social construction of the phrase is not some arbitrary thing. It's as woven into the development of American society as any other ideology is, as classes, more than even classes we talked about before, right. uh, gender, all the, they're inseparable. There, there are so many institutions, even our financial institutions. Um, we mentioned before the, the whole mortgage-backed security system, the relationship between public-private funding and insurance and all of these things developed around owning humans and, and getting investors from foreign nations into your cotton trade, and then the northern banks financing it all and supporting um, what, what state sovereignty is. You know, Mississippi is, is created to be basically a, a slave engine state and how are they going to do that? Who's going to fund it? Is it going to be the people actually there? All of this is decided based upon the idea that they're going to own humans, that they're going to pull from the failing plantations on the East Coast, bring them into the Mississippi Valley, right, in Louisiana, and, and create this, this whole new utopia of labor. But this, this whole huge system is itself has absorbed the ideas of race, is itself developing and redefining and entrenching the ideas of race. And so the fact that today you or I can go out on the street and we can see, oh, there's a black guy, oh, there's a white guy, means that that system is here. Mm -hmm. right. And it still has meaning and it hasn't right. left, right. right? Right. And so when you start from that point, like when I say you look at critical race theory analytically, right? not just its historical development, but kind of break it down, what's an inner logic? I think that's an important and inescapable starting point that leads to any other possible critical race theory tenet. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that people like, I always pick on the founders ministry, I just, they're loud. Um, yeah. Is So when they say race is socially constructed, and I think this is what Marty's getting at, Ooh, you can't just do that. You can't right. just say that. That ties you to a whole other set of propositions exactly right. that you have to come to terms with. Exactly and it's right. going to be things like intersectionality. Mm -hmm. It's going to be things like differential racialization. It's mm -hmm. going to be like uh, that racism is normal or embedded mm -hmm. within social mm -hmm. institutions. Mm -hmm. It's going to mean that when you want to make change, that there's going to be require a convergence of interest between different parties mm -hmm. because the systems are structured around racial lines and always have been, right? All of these things that we consider the basic core tenets of critical race theory, they can't really even be disentangled from that first proposition if we take it for what it is. And I think that's what Marty was getting at and what we were kind of talking about yes. last time. Walk yeah, exactly that path, right. start from 1619 or wherever, go to Massachusetts so you can start earlier and not have that whole right. debate, right? Walk that line all the way through, see everywhere that it touches, you know, read like a mm -hmm. uh, Baptist, um, uh, the half has never been told, read some of the uh, um, Eric Williams on, on uh, racial capitalism, just, see how the system, and it was global, 
wasn't just local. Yeah. This was yeah. our piece of it. Right. Just watch how the whole thing comes. What what is what capitalism itself means is racialized. And, and and that sounds like insane. To me, 10 years ago, I would have slapped myself for saying something <laughs> as absurd as that. But now I can't unsee it. Right. right. Do you know what I mean? Well, right, right, right. So so this this one principle, I, I just has its tentacles so wide that the the analysis, the whole rest of the analysis of critical race theory to me has merit and at very least yeah. requires discussion. Yeah. You know? Well, that's and that, and that's a good place to to kind of pick up for next time. And that is, you know, if if this is if that is if this is sort of the the backdrop around which um, we have to um, kind of settle in it, historically, and then you move into here are the things that were discovered tenets, as you call them. I think you commonplaces maybe you referred to once. I before. like that. Yeah. Just because. Tenets to me kind of just sounds a little too rigid. Sure, like sure. Some could go and we could sure. add others. <laughs> sure, right. But, but right. commonplaces implies these are topics right. that are sure. kind of shared among the yeah. groups. Yeah. So then we can we can pick up we can pick up there and um, kind of walk down a few of those and show how they can't be disentangled once you recognize this is just it's a given. And and that's the part that that I, I find baffling is is that that we're talking about simple observations that get right. instantiated into laws which dictate institutional structures and patterns that to all of a sudden deny that does require an ahistorical commitment. Right. And for Christians, that is so, I mean, it's so, it's bizarre. I mean, imagine reading uh, the New Testament Imagine reading Paul mm -hmm. and and having cut off the Exodus. Right. Yeah. Just imagine that. Just right. imagine cutting off the Exodus. Yeah. Uh, imagine imagine trying to read Hebrews and cut out the Torah. Right. You, oh, yeah, you're, yeah. you're you're just going to. You, That's and, what's interesting and, too about books like Hebrews is he's so clearly not just exegeting the Bible, he's exegeting his historical context in order to relate those things. Exactly. Which has to be done. Absolutely. And, and so for anyone to come along now in this context, Christian, and try to defend against um, someone, say, like a Bart Ehrman, mm -hmm. who is wanting to cast aspersions on some historiography related to the New Testament and scriptures to, to get to come out and want to want to defend the historical Jesus, the historical narratives as legitimate is it, so insane that that to, to ignore our own history mm -hmm. to suit. Yeah. And I can't I honestly you're going to you're going to you're the smart guy. You're gonna, I can't figure out why. I I'm, I can't figure out what is gained. What 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 in the world does someone gain who is following you know a resurrected uh, Jew uh, ascended? What what do they gain? I I I cannot. I can't figure it out. I can't even grasp it. I can't grasp what's gained. So no. that'll give us some some good place to. It's racism. I, I I mean I, it has to be right. I mean, I mean that, and, and so why, why else would you want to get rid of it?
if it's actually exposing the real issues that lay beneath your protests. And if it's as built in as deeply as we're saying it is, then it's a likely answer. Yeah. Like, hey, but how about you address that by starting, I'm here right now in this context, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And then rather than going into complete justification mode, try and think about it honestly, just at least try that. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. See, I... Folks, there, they're just there's there's a lot to lot to relate to, and and I and I again want to keep reminding you that while I'm learning, while I'm reading in between our conversations, while I'm picking up what I can, I still keep coming back to the realities that there there are some things to think about um, what God has said, and, and so when God has said a thing, and 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 we're trying to assess, you know, kind of where we are in the world. Uh, you know, I mean, how is how is the discovery of CRT for a denomination steeped in a with a racial past, not viewing this discovery as a sanctifying moment for us? I just cannot. I it, right. whew, it's baffling to me. Just baffling to me. Yeah. Well, all right, man. <laughs> Thank thanks. We'll we'll uh, set up our next uh, conversation, and folks, we're going to get into some of the uh, other uh, commonplaces where. This particular groundwork will help uh, see how these other ideas emerge as as tools and explainers to to get at what what do we do what 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 do we do because eventually I mean that's really the question right I mean the question is if 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 this didn't solve it then what do we do to 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 work toward a better place so right. yeah all right Agreed. well thanks Bradley I appreciate it man look yeah. forward to the next time definitely thank you. Hey, as always, I want to thank you for listening to Pathological. I hope uh, you are finding uh, helpful insight along the way, pastor or lay leader, or even uh, skeptic and questioner, as a couple of uh, Christians are talking about critical race theory and not trying to make of it a bogeyman, nor are we trying to make it the the uh, answer to everything, but instead to uh, utilize it in in a way that well it was meant to be as an analytical tool to answer the question is why are things the way they are and how come they haven't changed when allegedly we've put laws into place to make uh, life better more equitable among all people so you heard where we'll be next time and so do me a favor uh, head over to uh, the iTunes uh, store and leave a, a rating or review, a four or five star would be great. Uh, even a little blurb about the podcast would even be more helpful. It helps folks find us and and uh, expand our opportunities to hopefully put some good stuff into uh, everyone's earbuds. And um, uh, you could um, you know, share this with your friends. Um, let them know. I, I, my old friends uh, Abernathy and uh, Larson, you uh, call uh, five and five, you know, five star review and send it to five friends. So you could help us out and do just that. Uh, subscribe in your favorite podcatcher. That's a way to never miss an episode. You could subscribe to Pathological in whatever your favorite podcatcher is. So want to thank you again for listening. And this has been Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. And until next time, peace.